And that's been, that's been a change in the last decade. You've seen a lot of that change. Um, but that's not the only thing. You, if you go to a grocery store like I did to get some Christmas cards, um, if you'll notice that most of the greetings, or actually a lot of them nowadays, have a generic happy holidays that proliferates in all of the greeting cards as opposed to the traditional Merry Christmas. And I don't bring this up to, to go on a political tirade because I don't think it's the greeting itself that's that important. To me, it, it, does, it really is not that important whether it's a happy holiday or Merry Christmas. It matters more to me what people mean when they say happy holiday or Merry Christmas because you can say Merry Christmas and it can still mean nothing more to you than simply saying happy holidays. Isn't that true? Our Merry Christmas greeting, the season greeting, can be just as vapid and hollow as saying happy holiday. What matters is our actual perception of Christmas. What's our perception of it? How do we celebrate it? What do we do to celebrate Christmas? And I want to make the point this morning that Christmas, though it has largely become secularized and it has become little more than celebrating a day off from work with your family, eating turkey and fruitcake and mince pies. And these are all good things, but that's not the end of Christmas. That's not the purpose of Christmas. Christmas festivities cannot be a substitute for the Christmas good news. And the Christmas good news is that Jesus is Christ the Lord, our Savior. That Jesus is Christ the Lord, our Savior. And we're going to look at a passage in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. If you can turn with me to your Bible, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. This is, in my estimation, the the most important statement of the gospel in the entire gospel of Luke, the clearest statement of the gospel, and it is arguably one of the clearest statements of the gospel in all of the gospels. This is a very important passage uh, for us here. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. I'll read it out loud for us. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Dear God, we submit this passage to you. And we want to hear this message from you. Lord, in our frailties, Lord, I am inadequate to proclaim this word and do it justice. And in our frailties, we are unable to understand and appreciate it fully unless your spirit works in us, Lord. So work in our hearts now. Prepare us now to receive your word, to understand it, to apply it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have a very simple message uh, for you this morning, and I want to focus primarily on the verses, verses 10 to 11 in this chapter, um, the pro- proclamation of the gospel. And that's, uh, that's what I read that part again. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what is this good news? Why is this good news? Why does this bring great joy? And what does it mean that Jesus is Christ the Lord and Savior? And I want to begin, use that as an outline to go through. And first, I want to start with talking about Jesus' name. What does it mean to be called Jesus? Why is he called Jesus? If you look at verse 21, it says, at the end of the eight days, He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, in this passage, it seems a little awkwardly placed. I mean, why are you adding that at the end of the day? It seems perfect to end it right in verse 20, where the shepherds are returning, glorifying, and praising God. But instead, Luke adds at the end there, at the end of the eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Why is that? Why is this naming thing so important? Because names are really significant in the Bible. If you see throughout the history of the Bible, God always comes and renames people that he has, he has divinely purposed for his will, right? If you look at Genesis 17.5, God changes Abram's name to Abraham because he will be the father of many nations. In Genesis 32.28, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, saying that his 12 sons will form the nation of Israel, right? And what does name of name Jesus mean? It's a, it's a shortened form of the name that's common among us. It's Joshua. It means Yahweh saves. 
And Yahweh is, is the personal name that God revealed to Moses. So it really saying God saves. So Jesus' name means God saves. And that's significant. And it's significant because God's doing the naming. I mean, you're saying here the angel is giving him the name, but the angel is simply the messenger. That's what angel means. So it's really the God that's doing the naming. And it's important when God names things. Because for us, I mean, we don't really have that much power. If I came up to a newborn baby and said, your name's going to be Jesus, God saves, will that make a difference in that baby's life? No, it won't, right? Because <laughs> I don't have any power. I don't have any authority. I can't assure that that baby's going to be used for God's salvation. I can't. But when God names somebody, when God names anything, it happens. Because God has the power and the authority to do that. So when God names Jesus, Jesus, Yahweh saves, that's a promise for us. Jesus, this baby is going to save us. This baby is going to save. It's going to be the instrument of God's salvation on earth. So how is he going to do that? Why is this, who is this Jesus? So let's go back to verse 11. Now he says that Jesus is also the Christ. As most of you already know, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? Christ is a title given to Jesus as, as someone, Christ was the expected figure who would come to fulfill the Davidic covenant. He was a royal figure. He was a king who would come to fulfill the royal um, Davidic covenant. And it's the promise, the Davidic covenant is written in 2 Samuel 10, 13, where God promised to King David that your kingdom is going to be established forever. Uh, your kingdom is going to be established for our appoint someone to reign in, your, in the line of your throne forever. And that's why uh, in verse 4, if you go back, Joseph is mentioned. And it's, Luke is very careful to note here that Joseph, Joseph is the earthly father of Jesus. Not in the sense that not a physical father because Jesus was conceived by a virgin birth through a virgin Mary. But because the, the lineage is traced through the father's line. Jesus is able to fulfill the prophecy that said that Jesus was going to, uh, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, was going to come in the line of David. So Jesus came in the line of David. That's also the same reason why Luke mentions Bethlehem. He says he was, he was in Bethlehem because um, city of David, Joseph was actually from uh, Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. And Bethlehem is again prophesied in Micah 5, 2 to 5. If you can turn with me quickly, you can look uh, on it with me, but I can read it for you here from Micah 5, 2 to 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she is who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is a remarkable prophecy. Um, prophecy prophesies that Messiah, the anointed one, will come from Bethlehem. And that's why these details are in there. The, the narrative in the Bibles are usually so sparse. There's so little detail. Usually any detail find that you find in is very significant. It's there for a reason. The writer placed that intentionally. So the, he's from Bethlehem. He's from the lineage of David. And so he goes to Bethlehem to register. 
Now, if you, let me give you some context for this Christ figure because it's, it seems a little distant to us. Okay, I mean, Christ was promised to the Israelites, to the Jews, to, to come fulfill the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Israel. But this is something that the Jews, if, you're, if you can imagine yourself being in their place, was longing desperately for. They were waiting for millennia. They were waiting for so many years, desperately longing for the Christ to finally come. I mean, God promised this to David in 1000 BC around that time, and God established the kingdom of David at that point. But after that, it's a succession of being taken over and being conquered by other nations because they're disobedient to God. First, they're conquered by the Assyrians, and then by the Babylonians, and then by the Persians, and then by the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And then finally, at the time of Jesus, they're being ruled by the Romans. This is a nation that has known sorrow and suffering and pain, and oppression, and they've been crying out for the Christ for a long time. And finally, an angel comes on this day and says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Um, and so Jesus is supposed to be a king. He's supposed to be a king that fulfills the kingdom of David, but he's not going to be an ordinary king. Because God knows that you can't establish an earthly kingdom forever because people are not capable of following God faithfully forever on their own. And so it's gonna, it was going to be a cycle of the same thing that has been happening to the Israelites. So that's why God doesn't bring an earthly king, an earthly Christ, but he, becomes a heaven, he brings a heavenly king. And Christ is not a, kingdom, a king of an earthly kingdom, but he's a king of a heavenly kingdom. So people that belong to his kingdom not, are, are not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but they're the spiritual descendants of Abraham. All those who put their faith in Christ belong to his kingdom. So then Jesus is the Christ, who, the long-awaited Christ that has finally come. So at, up to this point, we have to note that there's nothing surprising here for the Jews. Like They were expecting a king to come. They were expecting a Christ to come. Um, they were expecting uh, this whole thing. But, they, but this is where things get a little crazy, the next part of verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, this is an interesting phrase. Christ the Lord. It sounds normal to us because we say it all the time. But actually, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where that phrase comes out. Christ the Lord. The more common phrase is Christ of the Lord or the Lord's Christ because Lord refers to God. But here it says Christ the Lord. In fact, this is so unusual that some scholars have in the past thought that this was a scribal error. Oh, this is not supposed to be Christ the Lord. It's supposed to be the Lord's Christ or the Christ of the Lord. But it's not a mistake. Vast majority of the most reliable manuscripts of the Bible, the ancient manuscripts, all have Christ the Lord. This is what's supposed to be here. If that's the case, then Luke is making a very significant theological statement by saying this. He's not saying a king is going to come from among you, just the man. He's saying this king that is to come, this Christ that is to come, he is God himself. God himself will come. God himself will come, and Christ is God. And that's why uh, like Mitch talked about earlier in the worship, about the glory that was shining, shining around them. Glory is a word that's only used about, uh, to refer to God's perceptible presence. 
when God comes and you see God and he's, he's already, always wrapped and surrounded in glory. So that the fact that glory surrounds them when the angel comes down to announce the birth of Jesus shows that God's here. This is a significant moment. God's coming to earth. Now, along with that, it says the glory shone around them. It's not just the little ray of sunlight just coming, you know, to light up, light up where you are. It's a, it's, a, it's a dazzling display of light, of glory. It's only used one other time in the Bible. It's when Saul faces the blinding light, and he, he's blind, and he converts. So it's that kind of a dazzling display of glory that the, the angel br- brings with him to announce the birth of Jesus. So all of these suggest that this is not an ordinary child. This is not a, just a human child. Yes, it's a human child, but he is also God incarnate. God has come in the form of man. And now if you understand the gravity of this, the context of this fact that, fact that God has come over to that town next, over, next town over, that God is there, that God was just born, that's not a joyful news if you think about it. If you really think about it, that's not joyful news. That's frightful news. Because God is a God of justice. And this world that he just came into is a world full of injustice. Because God is a good God, but this world that he just came into is full of evil and is broken. Because God is holy, but we are sinful. And a holy and just God can only come into this kind of world in judgment. That's why this is not a joy. If, you, if God, is, if the angel had come and simply said, this day is born to you, Christ the Lord, that would not be good news. It would not be a good news of great joy. It would be a frightened news. And that's why the shepherd's response is appropriate. In verse 9, it says, they were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. And this is the typical response that you see throughout the Bible whenever God appears to mankind. When God appears to Isaiah to commission him for his mission, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is frightful. He is fearful for his life because God is holy, because God is just. And that God would come into our world. That God would come to dwell among us. That God would come in a manger. That's frightening news. If that's all that the angel had said. But the angel says something else. Verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. John 3, 16 and 17, it says, God did not come, send his only son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is not come in judgment, but God has come to redeem, to save. That's why this is good news. That's why this is news of great joy. And what does it mean that he's our savior? What is he saving us from? In Acts 5.31, which is also written by Luke, the same author that wrote this passage, It says that Savior has come who is to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's what he's saving us from. He's saving us from sin. He's saving us from death. That is the consequence of sin. 
because we can't save ourselves as human beings. The Holy One, the blameless one, had to come and die on our behalf so that our sins can be paid for, so that our sins can be atoned for. He came for the forgiveness of sins. He came to save us. He came as a savior. And that is what brings glory to God in the highest, in verse 14, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And this is a glorious thing that God does. And this peace is not just a peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. This is the Old Testament idea of shalom. It's wholeness. It's the restoration of everything that is wrong in this world becoming made right again. All the injustice in the world being made right again. Everything that is broken, death, suffering being rooted out, and everything being made right again. All that is broken being restored to peace with God, to peace with man, and peace with the rest of creation. That's what this peace is. And Jesus didn't consummate it, but he put into motion the process through which this will be fulfilled completely. He's the one that began this process of peace. Bringing peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is good news indeed, and it is great news. But it's not great news for all. It's only good news for those with whom he is pleased, as he says in verse 14. What does he mean by that? Who are those with whom he is pleased? It says in verse 11, uh, in verse 10, that it's the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I, isn't this for all the people? That's not what all the people means here. It's referring to all God's people. Because all can also be translated as whole. It's for the whole people. The whole people of God is what it's referring to. And in verse 14, it says, On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The people to whom this is good news of great joy is those with whom God is pleased. Those who have put their faith in God so that they can stand righteous before God through the righteousness of Christ. Those are the ones with whom God is pleased then what does it mean for those whom he, with whom he is not pleased? That's really bad news. That's not happy holidays. It's really bad news. And that's why we as Christians, as people of the good news, as people with whom God is pleased because of what Christ has done. We need to celebrate and proclaim the good news of Christmas, that Jesus is Christ the Lord, our Savior. That's what we do on Christmas Day. We need to celebrate and proclaim that Jesus is, the, is Christ the Lord, our Savior. But this is going to be difficult for us because of the secularization of our culture that we talked about earlier in the beginning. Because this has, what has happened since the Enlightenment is that people have begun to separate fact from value. They have come to this understanding that scientific knowledge or fact is value-free and neutral and objective, while faith, value, all these things are meant to be your private, personal preference. It's not objective fact. That's, that's, the, that's the culture that, that we're in. That, that has progressed, and now our culture is pretty much, it's, it's secular in terms of, it's, it's a secular society, and its public philosophy is pretty much atheist. 
That's the society we, that we live in. And for that reason, we feel the pressure of our culture that says, don't share the good news about Christmas. That's for you. That's your personal preference. You can celebrate all the good news you want yourself, but don't bring that on me. Don't share that with me because that's your private opinion. That's not a public fact. That's the culture. That's the climate that we're in. So that's why it's difficult for us during Christmas to share the actual good news of Christmas with other people. So people try to celebrate Christmas, the holidays, without any reference to Christ. They try to have a good time without the good news of Christ. They try to have fun. And they try to have a peace of mind and peace in their family without the Prince of Peace. They think they have plenty to celebrate during this season. When in reality, Christmas is bringing really bad news for them. There's nothing to celebrate. Interestingly enough, this is a very similar context in which Jesus came. I mentioned to you earlier that every detail in in this passage is in here for a reason. If you go back to verse 1, it mentions that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Okay, why is that even important? Is that just to spice up the story, you know, make it seem, you know, more like history to give a reason for why Jesus was going to Bethlehem? It's, if you, Caesar Augustus was, a, was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And by, the, by this time, by the time of Jesus' birth, the Greek, cities, the Greek cities in Asia had rearranged their calendar to begin on the birthday of Caesar Augustus because they believed that Caesar Augustus had come as a savior to bring peace to the world. They believed that Caesar Augustus had come to bring good news and peace to the world. They believe that this is, this is found in the archaeological evidence that they, have, that they believe that Caesar Augustus was the bringer of good news, bringer of peace, savior of Rome. In fact, there was an altar in Rome to the Augustan peace. And it is in this context when the Romans are looking for a savior, looking for peace, looking for good news in something else, God sends Jesus and sends an angel to announce the real good news that Jesus is Christ the Lord, our Savior. He's the one that brings glory to God and peace to those with whom he is pleased. Yes, maybe Caesar Augustus may bring political peace through war, but only Christ can bring you peace with God. And he does that through his own death. Maybe Caesar Augustus can bring you Good news that is just political. But the eternal good news only comes through Christ. Faith is not a matter of private opinion. It is a matter of truth. It is a matter of public truth. The angel's announcement was public. And Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection and ascension were public events. They're as objective and unchangeable events that are as objective and unchangeable as any other event in history. It's not a matter of private opinion and personal preference and value. It's a matter of truth. That's why when the shepherds return 
They don't return silently saying, oh, I'll keep this nicely to myself. They return praising and glorifying God, verse 20, it says. And that's what we ought to do. We need to celebrate and proclaim the good news that Jesus is Christ the Lord, our Savior who brings glory to God and peace to his people. So let me ask you, if you are not a Christian and you're sitting here, I can tell you that Christmas is not good news for you. It's only good news for those who have accepted Christ. But you can accept Christ. He can be your Christ. He can be your Savior. He can be your God. He can be your Lord if you call upon him. And if you have accepted Christ and if you call yourself a Christian, this Christmas, celebrate and proclaim the Christmas good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, our Savior. Don't let the Christmas good news get lost in the Christmas festivities. When you look at the Christmas lights, think about the great light that shone around the angel to declare that Jesus is Lord. When you look at the Christmas tree, remember the tree, the cross upon which Jesus died so that he can be our Savior. When you come across your neighbor, instead of saying Merry Christmas and just stopping at that, because that could mean nothing more to your neighbor than just the happy holidays, share the gospel with them. Tell them why Christmas is good news for you. Share with them that Jesus is Christ, the Lord, our Savior, and that he can be their Savior too. This Christmas, let it be about the Christmas good news. And if you are able, maybe after church today, you can come with the group of us who are going to be going to share the good news of Christ in Bradford. And to invite them to our Christmas Eve service so that they can hear this good news. Let us be a church this Christmas that celebrates and proclaims the good news that Jesus is Christ, the Lord, our Savior. Let's pray together. God, help us to grasp the simplicity and the depth of the angel's pronouncement that unto us is born this day a Savior. Christ the Lord. You deserve all our glory. You deserve all our praise. And we want you to be central to our Christmas celebrations, Lord. Help us to be mindful of you and aware of what you have done this Christmas season so that it will not, so that it will not just be another secular holiday that we have off. but that it will be a profound celebration of your life and of your death and of your resurrection. 
the good news that you have earned for us. You are good indeed, Lord. And you are good news of great joy for us. So we thank you. Help us be bold to proclaim your good news with those who do not know you. So the more may see and know that you are good. That you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.